Welcome to Spare Prats, a Doctor Who podcast about audio adventures, specifically talking about Big Finish and other sci-fi adventures. My name is Stuart, and I have been a Doctor Who fan for a very long time. One of my first memories would be Tom Baker falling off a radio telescope, and I am a huge Big Finish fan, and I've been listening to them since pretty much the beginning. Hi, I'm Chris. Uh, I've been a Doctor Who fan since mostly the revival, but I remember growing up watching... Um, Peter Davidson's regeneration episodes um, and just thinking, what is this? And getting into sci-fi with Red Dwarf and from then on, just been a big sci-fi fan. But in terms of Doctor Who, it's been a massive part of my life for a great many, great, great many years. And this is um, my first foray into Big Finish. Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm mostly a new Who person, but I've done the odd foray into Classic Who. Um, I'm reasonably new to Big Finish, not quite as new as Chris, because I'm now up to 22 on the main range. Hi, I'm Doug. I'm a fan of Doctor Who since I was about four and a half, first John Pertwee episode. I remember, uh, as I know now, the Auton, but I remember... Uh, somebody attacking it with a pitchfork when it was actually a shotgun and Otto wasn't the wooden man I remembered it was a plastic creature um, so that's uh, that's my start way back in early 1970 I guess that would have been and uh, alternate that was Star Trek which was on in the gaps between Doctor Who and uh, I kind of lost track of it a bit further up the line uh, we watch New Who now the audio books um, I've not re- heard that many of them I've picked up some uh, over the years but uh, this is a, a good way to explore them in more depth so we decided to start, given the name of our podcast, Spare Prats, we thought we would start with uh, Spare Parts, which has kind of got a bit of a legendary reputation as one of the really early big finishes that just hits the mark. But it's, it's one that people love. It regularly gets voted as one of the top of that era. So we thought we'd start with that and just see what people thought of it. I hadn't listened to it myself in the past 15 years. It was really interesting to go back to it. And I wanted to see what, uh, what all the newbies and the old bee in Doug felt about it. It's a trailer. Doctor Who. Spare parts. It's taken six years training, but the sky's the limit today as mankind sets out on its mission to see the stars. This area is restricted to civilians. Why? What aren't we supposed to see? I saw your friend. Seemed like an amiable chap. The doctor. At dots. What were you doing there? Uh, What's happening? Oh, power cut. Just when I got the lights on. Sounds like your society's in its death throes. Not the end of the world. You could be right. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe Mondas doesn't have a future after all. Emergency generators! Get the backup generators running! Keep moving. It's too dark to see! No one leaves! No one! Doctor Van Allen, you are relieved of your duties. How dare you, Zeng? All this is my work. I created you. And I am superior to you. Be proud while you still have the capacity. That travesty that was once a human being is part of it. I don't know how long it'll take. I'm not even sure I want to stop it. But I can give you a wake-up call. You, not me, to change things and stop this horror once and for all. Clear these streets. Return to your homes. There is nothing to see. 
Well, I have to say, I, I really enjoyed it. It just really built up to a big grandiose spectacle. And it's one of those things where I kind of do really wish it had that almost cinematic experience. It felt very bombastic. It was the inspiration for Age of Steel. There's Cyberman episode in so much so that the the guy who wrote this mark black got a credit on the show and got paid but it's nothing like it because it's so much better i think than the than the actual episode well that's you say that's quite interesting because i picked up on so many new who tidbits like up oh, that's a reference there oh that could be a reference there and it's just i find that quite again grounding for again first time listening to a big finish and also having lots of reference points for new who the idea of the cyber planner mr clever kind of miss matt smith's voice with mr clever but it's a really nice touch interestingly this would have been done i think this was done about three years before doctor who came back so that shows that they definitely took things from this and obviously nick briggs who does the voice of the cybermen now did the voice of the cybermen here and is one of the guys who runs big finish so this is actually my least favorite era of doctor who peter davison is probably up there with maybe the william hartnell's series that I watched the least. I loved it at the time and then it's never really went back to it. Interestingly, I think some of the best big Finnish audios have been with this team. So when I first came to this going way back, I wasn't expecting very much, but I think it's got a phenomenal cast. Definitely agree with you there. The moment towards the, the end where Yvonne comes back to the house, the acting shops there, like just as you know, visualizing in your head and listening to it, you can really feel that emotion. You can really feel that sense of horror as well. Yeah, that that particular part was definitely a tearjerker for me where the dad was showing her around the house and outside at the not Christmas tree had just the she'd gone to this very childlike state where he's sort of treating her like a, a little wee a wee girl sort of thing. Nab had me in well, not quite in buckets, but just about there, I think. If they had if that had been a cinematic thing, I think I would have been out with the tissues at that point. And particularly with Paul Copley as, as dad, we always have to big up the Paul Copley. We do we do love Paul Copley, don't we? Uh, <laughs> very good actor. <laughs> knew him right away, didn't have to look at the thing, knew exactly who that was. And I was like, oh, awesome. He's got a very distinctive voice, Paul Copley. You just you hear him. It's really good. But he's got he's got that kindness. He's got kindness in his voice, which is something that I don't think is is always easily portrayed, especially sort of in a in a male voice. I think with, without sounding like over much. So he's got this. It's just, I don't know. It's just really subtle. Just that yeah, excellent actor. That's my bit for this evening on the Paul Copley show. My check is in the post. Thank you very much. He's very much, comes across very much as like an everyman. He feels like someone you can root for. He feels like someone who you might meet down the pub. I loved him from a series called King Street Junior radio series, although he was also in Torchwood, Children of Earth. I missed that. And I've seen that. That's a, that's the best of the Torchwood, so you should have seen it. But I stuck with it all that time. How could I have missed that? Uh, and of course, I believe he was in some other show, Joe. He was, yeah, he was in Hornblower, which is my, one of my like total favourite shows. That could be my specialist subject potentially. And there's a lot of to- Doctor Who characters, uh, Doctor Who actors rather, in Hornblower as well, or, or the other way around, perhaps, depending on when it's happened. And, and Doug was like me, will have recognised, maybe not recognised, but will have been aware that there's a Blake 7 actor as well. Yeah, I didn't recognise the voice during the show. I didn't didn't look at the credits or anything before I listened. Uh, it was only when I looked afterwards that Sally Vet, who was Jenna in the original two series of Blake 7, was uh, one, of the, one of the people in the, in the play. 
And I've just realised Paul McGann was also on Hornblower, and and he seems to be quite important in Doctor Who as well. I've heard he, he turned up for that five minute episode for the fiftieth. I don't know what else he's done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, 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 he's done a few of these audiobooks. It's pretty, yeah, well, pretty yeah. good. In <laughs> Spoilers. We'll we'll find this out because our next audiobook is a Paul McGann one, as you know, <laughs> which also has a Blake Seven actor. We won't say what it is, but anyone who knows our Big Finish will know which which one that is with both Blake Seven and Paul McCann in it. So, Doug, did you? what were your thoughts on it? Uh, well, first of all, I thought it was going to be a pastiche of Starship Troopers with the uh, the intro that sounded very like the start of Starship Troopers. Yeah. But uh, that was my first thought about it. I thought, have I heard this before? It sounds very familiar. Uh, but then you get straight into the adventure, pretty much. The TARDIS lands, and um, it's a new planet. Coordinates aren't right, the Doctor says, I think. Uh, so they go off exploring. Um, and they realise they're inside a stone chamber, and then they split up to explore. Good way to uh, help carry the plot and fill up four episodes <laughs> in 30 minutes, which is five minutes at least longer than most of the original series episodes would have been. Uh, one of the other things I liked um, was that the, the silver vermin were uh, the Cybermats, as we, we came to learn, but uh, the guy, uh, one of the main characters in the family that Nyssa uh, met up with, he was a mat catcher rather than a rat catcher, which... Uh, Made me smile, um, but yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, the the um, what I thought was really helpful in a way was that the different types of cyber being, because they're kind of in different stages of becoming um, fully cyber men or cyber women, was that the voices were different. So they had the uh, the tenth planet era um, voice for the the final cyber person or cyber uh, cyber leader was it? I can't what what he was actually called now. But up to that point, the voices were all uh, treated differently electronically. And there was only one number I find a little bit difficult to follow. Um, but uh, that was a that was a nice touch. I definitely agree with you there. What I really enjoyed was that to, um, almost like the coming together of the cyber voice when all the, the cyber council were kind of like in agreement. I can't remember what they were saying. It wasn't Resistance is Futile, which I was waiting for the entire podcast, uh, entire audio. <laughs> but they had so many opportunities, but they never took it. Yeah, when all the voices came together um, to communicate that one big, solid cyber voice, we are the future, we are the future. I was kind of waiting for a, we are the Cybermen, like, oh my God. Maybe that's why it was a bit difficult to follow. Maybe I hadn't picked up on that. There was a lot of them talking at the same time. I Maybe that's what I got a bit, um, a bit lost in following what they were saying. It is interesting. You're talking about resistance is useless, and uh, or resistance is useless is... Hitchhiker's Guide. Resistance is Futile is the Borg. I'm trying to remember which one is the Doctor Who one. But I think that's more of a new Who thing, I think. Because obviously this was going right back to the Tenth Planet Cybermen, which they have more recently revisited in the Peter Capaldi story. But prior to that, we haven't seen them since 1965, 66. It was the William Hartnell regeneration story. And they are, in my mind, the most chilling of the Cybermen. The other thing is, of course, that there was a little bit of friction between Fifth Doctor and Nissa. This would be the first time they've encountered the Cybermen since the death of Adric. Interestingly, 40 years ago last week, as we record this, was the death of Adric. I feel that's almost a missed opportunity for this episode, possibly. Maybe, again, time constraints, story constraints, obviously, that's these things get heavily, heavily edited. But to explore that kind of the fallout from the death of Adric, I, I'm always fascinated by um, characters exploring trauma in almost real time for them. They sort of did. Well, they, they 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 sort of had a little section of it in the, I think it was the first episode, where they did a bit of mourning of Adric. They they sort of 
I think the doctor admitted that they, they hadn't really, as you say, spent much time mourning them, really. I think um, maybe they did in the following episode or one, a couple of times it was mentioned in the, the tele-series, but only in passing, really, from what I remember. Yeah, it wasn't a... They didn't do a huge job of mourning Adric. So I don't think they really did deal with it that well. And I guess in the audios, it was specifically because it was a Cybermen that had killed him or it'd been a Cyberman story. And the Cybermen were actually kind of one of the reasons that he died. I, it's one of those things where I suppose they had to mention it, but they maybe didn't want to spend too too much of the plot going into it. And it might have dragged down people who didn't know who Adric was. I guess that's maybe the concern is that we maybe hadn't seen episodes with Adric wouldn't know who he was so they didn't want to get into it too much but it did create that sort of schism where Nissa went off to her own thing and felt that she had to go and help these families because of what had happened with Adric. What I found quite interesting as well in the in the audio um, as you say like the kind of the contrast the, the friction between Doctor and Nissa was that she specifically calls the Doctor out on you didn't do enough for Adric and that's why she's helping this family and I found that quite a nice little thing that could have been explored more but obviously I think it's I think it's interesting in Doctor Who that about when we talk about um, grief of loss of characters and how you know for in this particular instance don't feel like they've um, grieved Adric enough but then we, we've seen plenty times where you know whole generations and whole um, civilizations are exploded and there's not much grief but I think there's maybe so much goes on that if they explored the grief they'd never stop because there's so much potential grief I did quite like the um in New Who with um Graham when he was uh, grieving his wife spoiler alert we have to deal with that later um and I think they dealt with that quite nicely but I think it's probably the only time that I thought actually they've kind of dealt with in my experience anyway dealt with something like that um in a nice way so I'm just gonna say the show dealt with it but when Graham spoke to her about his cancer the doctor couldn't deal with that that, was that is a, yeah that is a fair point so yeah the doctor didn't deal with it at all to be fair <laughs> Graham dealt with it and we went on his journey. Yeah, the, doc, the doctor just <laughs> rubbish. But it's like you say, you, when you've been alive for 900, depending on how which version of the doctor's age you go with, years, I guess you're going to have lost a lot of people. And Adric wasn't the first companion to die, but he was certainly the first for a very long time. Well, he was the first long-term companion. Yes, yeah. Just the others were either just within a story or, or well, I think... Two stories, wasn't it? One. Katrina was two stories, and Sarah Kingdom was kind of one story. But that one story would be the equivalent of a series of Doctor Who now because it was twelve episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a way to say I've probably been a bit harsh on the grief thing, is thinking that obviously when uh, Amy and, and Rory disappear off, he does spend quite a bit of time in isolation. So perhaps I've maybe a bit been a bit mean. They just sort of glibly wanders off when they when they disappear out of his or hers life. When you touch on grief, like I always thought uh, the Clara and Danny Pink story over the two series was a fascinating exploration of how a character who you kind of thought, well you're just gonna be a quick one one two-dimensional actually grows and like actually had this her last series is actually to watching her deal with that grief and not deal with it in a healthy manner, which ends up being, which ends up with the Doctor going, wipe his own mind. Maybe the best portrayal of grief that we've seen in Doctor Who at all, the Doctor isn't capable of feeling that same level of grief in that same way. You, you know, he doesn't really understand why it's so difficult. He obviously cares for the person as as they are, but then like kind of that going so far to empathise to, to that level is something again over two thousand odd years. He kind of that's what I kind of took away from it. He he cares he cared for Clara, but then just couldn't quite get that a little bit more. 
that's the kind of thing, and especially in classic who the doctor does just go a companion leaves one week and then he just goes and picks up another one the next week. The only time I can think of Doug might know of the if you would agree with this, that I think there was maybe a bit more in it for the doctor was when Joe Grant left. When she left, I think he drives off on his own quite dejectedly. Well, you would be the very end of the episode, him driving off into the distance, having looked sad that Joe was heading off up the Amazon with her, uh, her new love, the Mushroom Doctor. <laughs> it's not like the War Doctor. That's the worst. That's the worst of the Doctors. <laughs> the non canon Doctor. You're the War Doctor, the Curator, and the Mushroom Doctor. Oh. I'm sure he's a fun guy. Sorry, someone had to say it. He wasn't one of the many incarnations of our Doctor, though. He was a different, different doctor, doctor, just to clarify it, for those who haven't seen The Green Death. <laughs> Thinking of things like Sarah Jane, where he literally just sort of drops her off in Aberdeen, if I recall, yeah. and then buggers off to Gallifrey. There's just... a couple of mentions of Aberdeen, as if it's like the, like the, just the end of the Earth. I mean, there's a little bit more Earth to go if you keep going, but there's a couple of references. There's two places, the entirety of planet Earth. There's London and Aberdeen, and potentially Yorkshire. Potentially somewhere in Yorkshire, but it's never quite stated. Well, it must be surely in Yoohoo. It's up so near um, Sheffield, it, isn't yeah, it? Sheffield and Car- uh, Sheffield, Sheffield now, yeah. yeah. How did everyone feel about uh, the kind of the, the tone of how this world, that this version of Mondas was portrayed? Because I got very much the sort of the working class tenements vibe from everything. That that very much um, early fifties. Yeah, well, it was. It was the last city on the planet, and it was under the, in this cavern under the ground, um, which then became open to the surface later on, near in the last episode. So yeah, it was the last survivors eking out what they had to uh, to survive and, and replacing parts. I mean, it, it was really you know you, you could see how they started becoming Cybermen. They started replacing parts. I think early on there's a scene where um, they're uncovering somebody who's covered in um, boards or whatever. They fall on the top of them, and the doctor feels his arm, and there's no pulse. But then he gets up, so presumably he had a cyber arm with the pulse in it. Um, and that's, you know, I, I guess a lead into the story of uh, well, what's going on here. Then uh, it comes covered, and then uh, <laughs> there's another fun, funny line um, further on about the uh, the chest piece um, on uh, on one of them, on the father, I think it was. It's like he's been wired up to an accordion, which uh, you know, when you've seen the original Mondasian Cybermen Tenth Planet, you uh, you may well think that. Although it's got a big round dome in the front of them. Yeah, it was it was it was, uh, it was uh, nice to have them in in Mondas uh, and find out that because uh, Mondas was the tenth planet of that episode title that disappeared off out of the solar system, and now we know what happened to it. I think it did have a sort of a steampunky type vibe about it, and I think that kind of working class thing. I'm gonna. I think it's partially because of Paul Copley's accent. He's <laughs> just got a really great working class accent, and I think that helps to bring you into the fact that. That these are, these are everyday people. These are not the sort of higher ups. You notice that the higher ups all have less of an accent, less of a defined accent, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I did. I did. I thought it was a really nice thing. I've always liked the idea of of knowing what happened to Mondas because we see them in the tenth planet as fully fledged Cybermen, and this was a really good sort of introduction to where that ended up. Becoming, and I guess that's the thing. The Doctor knew where this was going to end. He knew where it had to end because if it hadn't ended there, he wouldn't have regenerated. Yeah, uh, it's but it's not just the people either that were um, being having parts replaced because uh, there's a, a few scenes with um, some sort of semi-cyber person, policeman, on a, a cyber horse of some description. So with you know, so 
obviously part horse and part replacement. So, um, you know, it wasn't just the people. We've never seen anything other than Cybermen and Cybermats uh, in the actual telly series, I don't think. Seen a Cyberwoman in you in Torchwood, wasn't it? There was a Cyberwoman in one of the early episodes of that. There was a, a Cyberwoman. There was in one of the Christmas episodes, there were Cyber Shades, which I think were dogs and cats and such like it was things that had brain high functioning brains so we we have seen bits and pieces cybermen are meant to be incredibly chilling because it, the guys who created it were genuine scientists it was about the concern they saw about things like artificial hearts and artificial it was a where does this end thing they went on to create a few great science fiction things they did doom watch and a few other kind of classic sci-fi things but all of them had this sort of taking the world as it is now and moving it a little bit beyond. And I think the Cybermen are probably, because of that, I think they're far more chilling than Alex. At this stage in the, in, the ti- in the timeline, she says, being aware that there are many timelines in this particular timeline, um, the acceptability of just swapping out some stuff without really giving it much thought is, I guess, it's just this, the kind of start. You can see how they've, they've gone from oh, actually, do you know what? The spare arm will be quite handy too. Actually, I don't need to feel any cold. That would be brilliant. I'll have that. Thank you, by the way. And could you, could you get rid of this nasty emotion? You would kind of think, oh, no one would ever do that. But we kind of are doing that now. <laughs> Maybe not quite to this extreme, but you know, when you're put into an extreme situation, these things tend to sort of ramp up quite quickly. You don't want to scare anyone. And I don't think we'll have Cybermen too soon but it's just that the fact that these things became normal seemingly quite quickly um i i felt was, was quite um a good sort of parallel with our daily lives at the moment the, the things that become normal under pressure quite quickly like video calls which we would not normally have done a couple of years ago necessarily maybe some people would have but it wouldn't be mainstream this is your day-to-day now you have all your meetings on zoom or um, insert video conferencing software of choice. Um, and, but we all accepted that very quickly because we had to, to keep moving. And so uh, I, I like things like that where we're, it is quite close to the truth. It is that extra bit, but always makes me worried about humans and our capability for doing really stupid things. <laughs> That's enough of that. <laughs> A lot of the time. The character in the story, I think, really embodies what your point you're trying to get there, I think, Joe, is... The merchant, ha, Harry Dodd, was his Dodd, name? Dodd, yeah. Yeah, he was at times callous and just the, the use of just kind of like, oh, I'll broker some information or some help for your spare heart, please, doctor. Like, just to be so blasé about things, I see that, oh, that opportunity, oh, entrepreneurship with body parts. It's it's a grim premise, but again, as you say, that's kind of where... But also, that's a real thing, Chris. That's a, that yeah. There is entrepreneurship with body, but I mean, we don't want to. Maybe that's a whole different episode. <laughs> but that's yeah. not that's not far off the truth. Yeah. And, and this one, the uh, yeah. the the dad sold the mum. Did he? I just am I remembering that. So he certainly right? sold the yeah. He certainly sold the body because I think yeah. it says I got a lot of money off of your your wife, basically. <laughs> I did feel at the time I was not sure where that was going. So I think it is to explain later on that he had some sort of ashes on a on a shelf, something I wasn't sure at the start of it when he said you 
I sold my wife, like if she was alive, because then the, with the tone of the episode, the kind of desperateness of the, the plight of the Mondasi people, is that a thing that was kind of getting to the point where like, yeah, I've, I need to make some money. We made the decision sell to sell it. Yeah, yeah. To sell it. I think she was probably dead, but uh, I don't think it is. It's, it's, still, it's still a grim thought regardless but like as I say like, I was not sure where that was going I think she must have been dead because the, the kids would have not agreed to sell their mum I'm yeah, sure and, and because there were two kids and mother and father dark sci-fi yeah. you never know Paul Copley wouldn't have done that would he Joe? no no he wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> sell his wife no <laughs> he, he wouldn't play a part of someone who'd sold their wife no he's got way too much morals for that <laughs> But no, I actually but I you, thought you I talk- thought that was she'd maybe had been ill and had and they had decided that selling her would be the, the way to go. But I'm not sure what what use she would be if she was dead though, if they needed the life parts. So and that's that's unless, true. Maybe, maybe well, she was just sort of maybe they sold her skeleton because they they used her they used her uh, body bones as kind of the biofluid for the pre cybermen men. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were digging up the graveyard, yeah, weren't they? That's to, true. To, presumably, just the bones that were left in the graveyard. So, um, so you know, obviously, different things were used for different stages of the process. Definitely. I guess. Right, chewing. But you mentioned we've um, gone very dark. You mentioned um, the. <laughs> we're lighting it, we're lighten it up. A bit. Yeah, lighten up, Dougley. Well, I was going to say, you, you were talking about, uh, you know, how things have moved on in the future, but I mean, the story was that the Cybermen were originated by Jerry Davis and Kit Pedler. Uh, Dr. Kit Pedler, that's right, who uh, was part of the Doomwatch team. No, I think they were both part of the Doomwatch team, if yep. I remember rightly. Um, and, and Dr. Kit Pedler was a scientist, and I think Jerry Davis was a writer, and they were a team that, in, that did quite a few bit, stories over the years. But this was the first one they were involved in, and, and they were interested in, you know, things that are going to happen in the future and what could go wrong. Hence, Doomwatch, that was all about what could go wrong. Mark Platt, who wrote this, was, I don't know if he was the first of the original series writer to write for Big Finish. I'm not sure if he was, but I would, I'm would. i going to throw it out there that he might have been. And he wrote some Sylvester McCoy, we wrote a Sylvester McCoy episode, Ghostlight, which is the most weird episode of Doctor Who I think that ever probably aired. It's great episode, but it's it's really strange and it, it should have been even stranger if he'd been allowed to do anything that he wanted to do, but budget told him no. He was one of the people who was heavily involved in creating, sort of, in fulfilling the Cartmel master plan as was, which was to create make the Doctor much more mysterious. And he wrote the book Lung Barrow, which has become a bit legendary. Uh, it's one of the Expanded Universe books, and it's now incredibly expensive to buy, I think about £400, something like that, to buy a copy. Oh. It's How many do you have? I have one. But the, this created the concept of Time Lords coming from looms, which is something that lots of Doctor Who fans will shout out at various moments. It's an interesting, speaking about the audios, an interesting thing is, do you think that this is a story that could maybe only have worked in audio? Do you think that it would have lost something on the big screen? That's something I was going to bring up at some point, was that I, at the start of it, found it really jarring at times. Because, like, my imagination could only go so far that, like, like, what scene are we jumping to here? Like, there's the, the bit at the very start where I, I, I struggled to remember it because it was just a man screaming. Because I can imagine, obviously, he's in, he's found a Cyberman. But at the time, it was like, what the hell is going on? Like, the, I kind of I needed that visual cue for that bit. But then once it got into more, like, kind of like that grounded a bit more, I found that easy to, to take on. 
But when it's lots of banging, whooping, crashing, and just like, stuff flying over the place and people screaming, I don't think that works as well in audio to just be something shouting in your ear. Yeah, well, I think I, I mean they do have I think brief pauses between the scenes, don't they? When they switch between the Doctor and this. I was going to ask a question um, because I I am not sure why are the episodes thirty minutes roughly here, not twenty five. And am I right in thinking that Big Finish were broadcast on Radio 4 Extra or one of the, the digital BBC channels? And would that be I, the reason? I mean, yes to both, I think. I think, yes, you're right. You think they'd be that? I, also noting, I think that the theme tune, this is how geeky and sad I am, I think that that theme tune might not be 100% theme tune that would have been played in that time period. I could be wrong there, and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to lay my life on the line, uh, but it felt to me like that might not be the right one. But yes, you're right, they did broadcast some of these on radio, the Radio 4 Extra, Radio 7, it was one of the two, and they specifically created series that were just for those. I mean, I don't know if when they first created them, this was in the plan that they'd be broadcast, because I don't think that happened until a little later. But I wonder if it was maybe just 30 minutes is the easy sort of time to write to, you know, everyone writes to 30 minutes, you get a two-hour. It just it seemed like you've got an extra five minutes to fill in each episode that way, so you've got a lot more ch- talking to uh, to come up with, basically. Well, I've got a thing um, on that point of how did everyone feel? Obviously, if I'm... If you're more attuned to the classic who, then you're probably used to the whole kind of like, here's the cliffhanger for the first episode, move into the next one. I'm kind of used to with all, all the other audiobooks I listen to, it's all one big go, one long story, and just goes on. I don't know how I feel, I'm still getting used to the whole big finish style, but I just find it a little bit jarring. It's like, okay, it's now stopping, here's your your end credits, here's your intro credits. I would have preferred all one long story. The cliffhangers are very short when you recap them. And the, the, the theme music, and I, I'm, was there even end music? It was very brief, it was. but the, There is end music, but I think it's a shortened version of the theme. Yeah, and the, the start music's quite short as well. So, I mean, again, that's even more time to fill with the, with the drama. So I think it's because the cliffhangers are such an integral part of Classic Who. Yeah. And were so yeah. terrible for Classic Who. Well, that was it. In a school playground, you'd always say, how's the doctor going to get out of that then? And then next week, it'd be all like that. Okay. <laughs> you can do a lot more with a lot less budget audio than you can do on a on a tv episode because i do think that the this is one that would be it would also maybe be a bit relentless it might be a bit dark to have as a tv episode but didn't feel like there was a massive redemption moment in it it didn't feel like because at the end of it it's like oh we may have won and at the very end we're like a bit of a spoiler here for you if you haven't heard it bit at the end it's like well maybe we haven't you know it almost felt like it was leading on to spare parts two which has never happened i mean at this point in time i guess when this came out we didn't even think that doctor who was going to come back well, you just had the, the TV movie that was made in America that was Sylvester McCoy's transition to Paul McGann. So that was, about, what was that? That was seven years after the end of the McCoy era. Yeah, 1989 to, to 1996. After that, wouldn't it? Yeah, so you know, this is the same length again and nothing had happened. I mean, that's the thing, I suppose, that we had kind of given up hope. For, for those of us who were fans in those time periods, this is wilderness years, you know? I mean, Big Finish came along and... And they were doing new stuff, and, and they had real doctors in it. Spare Parts also has an interesting soundscape to it. It captures the noises quite well. For, for an early big finish, it's quite atmospheric. It feels like it's doing a really good job. Definitely. I was going to bring up that point. The, the scoring for kind of the, the big dramatic bits really just amps up the, the intensity of the moment. So again, just towards the, the climax of the whole piece, it just gets so grandiose, and you, you feel the, the ticking timer with the score for me as a fan when I 
first time going back uh, 15 years or so ago that I heard it. I think for me, this was the first time that I felt the audios had equaled the TV series. I felt that this was as good quite a lot or if not most of the TV things. It really captured it. I think they've done better since. But I think this was a moment for me in which they definitely moved up. A, it felt like they moved up a notch. Although when I go back and listen to some of the early ones now, I don't know why I thought that they'd taken so long because some of the early ones are really strong. But from a perspective then of, of people having not heard audios before, I mean, I don't know, what's you guys' background with audios? Do you listen to a lot of audios in general? Uh, well, I, I, um, I do the England-Scotland drive, sort of 500 miles um, infrequently but several times a year and um, i used to listen to music but i find the journey goes quicker with a not necessarily short audio books like this which would be what two hours but well i bought the, the elizabeth slater autobiography at our services once i stopped in by and it was a tenor and it was I know, a dozen discs or something so i listened to that the rest of the way down and then when i went back up the next time i, I, I listened to the rest of it and that that really flew by I, it was something i was interested in it, it wasn't a, a normally i listened to like ian rankin um, novels or whatever i bought out the library when I, because I, I don't buy a lot i buy a lot of these audio books and charity shops knowing that i've got these drives to do i only like listen to them on long motorway drives because your mind isn't so distracted but and, and the, the fact that you're trying to follow the story makes the time go quickly so I, I, on the commute to work it's a, a, an hour or hour and a bit um, so these 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 are audiobooks which are an hour on a disc but I've not listened to a huge amount of the, the big finished ones I've listened to some of the target books which are read sometimes by the like, like Joe Grant Katie Manning she's read uh, some of them and uh, I think um, Caroline John's done some as well um, Fraser Hines is about to have done some but I've not got a huge amount of those either because again you know it's something I'll listen to probably once I, you know, I'm old enough to bought Target books as they came out from 1974 onwards with my pocket money and uh, getting presents to school in fact I used to read them walking to school I used to walk and read and a friend Health of mine health and safety it didn't exist in 1975. I used to do the same. We used to walk the dog reading a book when I lived at home, and it was the way of getting out of the house. I thought it was just me. No, no. So I walked it. I'm allergic to the dogs. It was the only time I spent any time with the dog was outside, and I would take it out for a nice
carry on doing the things. So I'm quite enjoying the audiobooks. As you can tell, I'm working my way through them quite solidly now. I've been trying to get Joe to listen to Big Finish for about 10 years at least. And so I was quite surprised when reasonably recently she said, I started listening to them on Spotify. I think because there was so, because there's so many, like coming in at this stage, they've got the main range and then you have like a whole other ranges of series. So there's Missy who's got several series and then which will be amazing because Michelle Gomez is just fabulous like if she wants to marry me that's I'm quite happy I'll I'll do that my husband won't mind it'll be okay (laughs) we'll put him in another room or sell him a Monda one of of those things um and (laughs) (laughs) to give you ideas Yes, mm, interesting <laughs> ways to get Michelle Gomez to marry me. So there's yeah, there's so there's Missy series, there's there's River Song series, and then there's 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 just there's so many that actually I wouldn't know where to start. So the fact that they had them on Spotify um from the beginning helped because it was like, well, I'll just do that. And then I think once I've kind of worked my way through however many they have, then I can start looking at where I go next. Well, my experience I'm from a, from we too. If I was honest, um, I remember it was the first audiobook I ever had, and Joe, you'll like this one. Um, it was Terry Pratchett's Sorcery. First, I got out of the school library, and from then on, I just started collecting all the Terry Pratchett on on cassette at the time as well. So I had my little my little Walkman walking around listening to Tony Robinson just create this fantastic phenomenal world that Pratchett had and I've tried listening to like the other I think Nigel Planner is the one who does like the, the full book like nine ten hours long I just can't get into it because I think I've, I've grown up with Tony, Rob- Tony Robinson's in my head he is the sound of this world so like to have anyone else come and say yeah that's the the, the Nigel Planner is better like nah sorry again this is what you used to but from there I graduated to Red Dwarf their audiobooks they're always really good and I liked how they rehashed quite well the episodes and then but with Last Human they really really pushed the boat out with a like on almost like a brand new narrative with sketches from the show put in so I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I always remember like the finale of it just being something so not Red Dwarf but something so just fantastic sci-fi and remember getting this phenomenal um, what would be the word just like hero moment I have to go, I have to go back and listen to that but yeah just, uh, since, since lockdown um, I've got uh, my, my front my front garden basically leads onto a graveyard so I've pretty much lived in a graveyard for two years going through just listening to and again back to Terry Pratchett's the Neil Gaiman's The Sandman and various other um, singles but I've got, I get everything through Audible oh I do well what's, I've watched doing the ironing is the one for me it's the ironing and putting clothes away and all of the usual domestic bliss stuff that and that makes that go a bit quicker if I'm listening to um, the audio beat as I go I usually stick a DVD or telly on when I'm doing that that's a good idea actually so what helped me get through my backlog of <laughs> ones I own <laughs> I quite liked the, 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 the overall the overall ending how it kind of gave that glint of hope, like oh, maybe some good side runs. Like the doctor, like Peter Davidson played it as if like he genuinely think, oh, this might actually alter the course in a more positive way. And just in that like a delicious way, it's like nah. We, that, I mean, that's the thing. I get where they were going with it, but the tenth planet doesn't happen. Then the first doctor isn't going to regenerate into the second doctor when he does. Therefore, he might not be the second doctor so he might wipe himself out of existence was my theory <laughs> if he stops it could he wipe himself out of existence that's that's a noodle scratcher <laughs> well because you you mentioned um genesis of the daleks earlier on and uh, i think this story is referenced to being similar to genesis of the daleks and, the, and the, that tom baker moment where he's got the two wires and does he have the right to 
stop the doubts being created by blowing them all up or whatever the two wires were going to do. Um, so that was a nice little bit in this story. But I think it's Nissa's trying to get him to do that, and he's saying that he can't. So it's it's a bit of a twist on that. So that was quite nice. I think just all the the, the, the fact of uh, the different cyber voices as they progressed, I quite enjoyed as well. So there wasn't anything particular about the story as such, but those two bits were good. And the fact that they, they sort of do mourn um, a little bit in, in second episode. It's not the first episode, as I said earlier. So, yeah, it was interesting to to, to, to have the pre-story um, on Mondas, um, which had never been covered other than mentioned, I think, in that picture, uh, on that story in, in, in the teleseries, because then they're about to tell us the other planet of the cyber, uh, planet of the cyber, don't they, with the twos. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that's, that's a good point because Kenneth Planet is such an important episode in, in Doctor Who lore. First time the Doctor regenerates, first time we see the Cybermen. It's a really important episode, so to have that kind of break that tells a bit more of the story that leads to that regeneration, leads to the reason why he regenerates. So it has inspired me to maybe after this um, go re-watch the last two episodes of Capaldi's run. Watch it because again, what I what I what I loved about this, the, about this audio and also being a kind of a more who guy, more new who guy, was that, that in the new who episode with those Mondasian Cybermen, they really that episode really captured the the pain, the creepiness, the sheer horror of what the Cybermen actually are, especially especially in those early days with the sockheads. It's yeah, it may be comical, like yeah, it was a, a special effect thing they had at the time with small budget, but what they've made it into in reality, in their terms of reality, is something truly horrific. And still to this day, whenever I get injured or I like, hurt myself, like hurt my hand or something, I still go pain, arm in pain. Like it's so ingrained in me now. Peter Capaldi was a huge fan of Mondas the men 10th planet and he had said since his very first interview with Doctor Who if you could bring back anyone who would it be and he'd always said the Mondasian side so Stephen Moffat had always intended on bringing them back for his final story apparently I just want to say um, as, as a slight side, side note me and my friend Russell after many many pints three, uh, about three years before it happened called exactly how the Cabal's run would end we called it right down the middle we, were ne- we weren't wrong in any of our predictions so we were owed some money so what was your favourite bit then, Stuart? You know, I think for me it was the fact that it was such a good episode for a TARDIS team I don't like. I went in not expecting very much, so maybe the reason I like it so much is because I had such low expectations. There's nothing wrong with Peter Davison, nothing wrong with Nissa, you know. I mean, and, and in some ways he's my doctor. I, I do remember Tom Baker regenerating, but my first doctor, and they always say your first doctor is the one that you, you're the biggest fan of, my first doctor would be uh, Peter Davison, but it just, it's never stuck. I've never liked him as much as Coy, who is the doctor, in my opinion. Very, not, not a popular opinion, but he's my favourite doctor. Yeah, going in, I just wasn't necessarily expecting very much, and, and I loved it, and I thought it was great. Really joy, it really worked for me as a story. It's Cybermen are probably my favourite classic who kind of baddies i just been really creepy i thought this was a nice telling. you said doug it's kind of genesis of the daleks for the cybermen so joe what about you what was your favorite takeaway i think because paul because copley. i've been listening to them and yeah paul copley but i've been listening to them in order and i think that well, that is one of the first ones that you're sitting with a family unit and so i i think well it does include the paul copley bit there obviously so i could have just said paul copley but i I think being able to sit with a family and be experiencing the world with them and uh, in their in their kind of timeline and what's going on with them, I thought was quite not e- easy to listen to is not the right way of putting it, but it was able to sit with them rather than just sort of floating around with the story and dashing around with the doctor, actually seeing their sort of real impact of the story that's going on. 
so I think I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed all of it, but I think, um, yeah, the sort of family unit and Nissa going into that, I thought was quite good. Also, the um, Paul Copper's character just trying to get a damn cup of tea. Yeah, poor man. We've all right that way. He just wants a cup of tea, and it's like I just uh, that's again to go back to the whole theme of things. Like that's just how you know it's a very British thing to do. World's going to end. Cup of tea. I mean, cup of tea. That's a- that's a fair point. If that had been a Mondasian equivalent of a French town, it would have felt very different. <laughs> it would be like a lot of side men going, I may we? <laughs> a plate of brain. <laughs> One nice thing I, th- I forgot to mention earlier on was um, there was the, um, the sort of Christmas type thing that you were expecting with the trees and the stars. Um, oh, God, the yeah. The tree, was it, that um, were um, explained... I think in the last episode that in what it wasn't related to Christmas, it was that the the well, Chris, you listened to more recently than I have, but it was to do with the lights with the planets that they'd gone yes. past. And what was the tree? There was a, the tree was linked to something as well. Yeah, oh, it was like planet moving day or something. L ties into hope, new beginnings. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a good story. I think it's a nice way to start our our podcasting career. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe if you've liked what you've heard. We are going to be back soon with our next podcast, which is going to be. Doctor Who, Storm Warning. Memoirs of an Edwardian Adventuress by Charlotte E. Pollard. Chapter 1. Candy floss clouds scattered as the mighty dirigible soared into the black night sky. Raise your glasses, gentlemen. I give you the R101. The R101. Ah, frailing. Over here, man, over here. Maybe they wouldn't be singing our praises, Lord Tamworth, if they knew that this ship hadn't completed its trial. Shh, shh, shh. Not having this, not again. Safe as houses. On paper, sir. On paper. Incredible. A time ship crashing. And again. And again. I watched as the full moon shimmered into view, casting silver rays about the cabin when... Oh no, Vortisors swarming to pick over the debris. Get away from there, you vultures! Leave that wreck in peace! I need you, Frailing. The Prime Minister needs you. Your king and your country need you to be stout, dependable and strong. It's just like I say, if I remember my Earth history correctly, the R-101 airship took to the skies for her maiden voyage to India early in October 1930. Yes, and? And crashed in flames in France during a storm in the early hours of the next morning, killing everyone aboard. What the devil? By something. Never mind that now, Freeling. Look what that silly ass has done to me best mess trousers. Oh, look, I'm really very sorry. I couldn't. I mean, I've. Uh... Whoops. Now, who exactly are you, and just how do you come to be aboard my airship? Is that the greetings over with? What? I'm the doctor, by the way. Oh, I'm Charlotte. Charlotte Pollard. Charlie to my friends. But it might be worth keeping an eye on that one as our little adventure progresses. They're breaking through. They're. God speed you on your way, airship R101, and God bless your passengers, the true masters of the air. Storm warning. The first big finish starred Paul McGann, so we hope you will join us for musings, chat, and... Nonsense. Nonsense is exactly right. Thank you again, and we'll be back soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.